Ephesians 6.4. This is the, the father, fatherhood verse. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, it's tempting on Father's Day to just kind of helicopter in on a sentence like that from the Bible and just kind of craft a sermon on how, how to, the do's and don'ts of fatherhood. How to be a good dad. How to be the kind of fathers God wants us to be. And I'm not saying there's no place for that, but I, that's not our aim this morning. But, but I realize as to say that, there are, there are a couple types of fathers that probably came into this room this morning. And, and you think about the Father's Day sermon when, when you hear them in, in different ways. There are some dads who love Father's Day sermons like that. You expect that kind of Father's Day sermon and you love it. You, you love do's and don'ts. You love marching orders kinds of sermons. Just tell me what to do, I'll do it. Tell me how to run a tight ship in my home, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. Tell me I, I need to do family devotions, I'll do it three times a day. I mean, you just, 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 just give me, give me some, give me some instructions, give me some commands, and I can do this, I've got this. I, I can give my kids walking in single file line, and the shirt's nicely tucked in, and yes ma'am, yes sir, I can, I can do this. And, and, and you're, you're after that elusive world's greatest dad prize. And, and, and you think to yourself, you know, I, I, I've got this. I'm, I think I, I think I can do this. I'm, I'm certainly doing better and I can do better than a lot of other dads in this church. That's for sure. So I'm not, I'm, granted, I'm painting a caricature, but I think there are some dads who kind of, Kind of feel that way. Then there are others who maybe on the other extreme. You, you dread the Father's Day sermon. So if you're listening online because you didn't come here this morning, you didn't want to sit beside your wife and children during this message. And then, um, but but you, maybe you came in here, you're carrying this load of guilt and shame. And, and, and you expect to leave here with that same guilt and shame only intensified and probably take a little sense of hopelessness with you when you leave. Just despair, like this is this is impossible. I can never measure up. You you can't seem to do well with what you already know to do, and now you're going to be told all these other things you should be doing as a dad, and so you're just it's just discouraging, and you think I, I can't do this. I'll never be the kind of dad that God intends me to be. I'll never measure up to the other dads in this church. They're they're far far surpassing me in terms of fatherhood. I, I feel like the world's worst dad. So some of some of you came in and you tempted to pride and self confidence and 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 puffed up in that way. Others are tempted to despair and and discouraged and guilty and ashamed. Even as as you look around and you feel just like you want to curl up in a ball and hide. Let me just say both are wrong. Both are wrong. Both. Are looking at the, are focused on the wrong things. Both are thinking wrongly about themselves. Both are thinking wrongly about other people. Both are thinking wrongly about God. Both need the gospel. Both need good news for dads and everybody else. One needs the gospel to humble them and to, to make them more reliant upon Christ. The other needs the gospel to help them and to give them hope and confidence in Christ. Be able to be the kind of father that God intends. And so, 
Here's what we'll see this morning. There are lots of expectations of fathers. I mean, biblical expectations. And, and so there are, there are, there are responsibilities. It's a heavy load that a father has. It's a tremendous responsibility. But we must ground those duties as dads in the gospel of Christ. And so I say it this way, that the, the obligations of fathers must be rooted in the declarations of the gospel. Or, more simply, do, all those do, those commands of the Scripture, they must grow out of done what Christ has accomplished. They're connected. And, and we'll see this so clearly in Ephesians. Those, these obligations, these commands, these imperatives, do this, do this. Fathers, this is what you must do. Those, those are connected to those declarations, those indicatives that this is what God has done. And, and so we could say it more specifically as we're talking about fathers. The commands to fathers in Ephesians 6.4, those twin commands, they must be grounded in those gospel declarations of Ephesians 1-3. to So Paul has zero interest in giving little kind of self-help principles for how to be a better father, how not to raise complete hooligans as kids. That's not what Ephesians 6.4 is about. That's not what his interest is in any other relationships that he he gives help for in Ephesians 4 and following. But he's deeply passionate about our hearts opening to the the knowledge of God through Jesus Christ and, and and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what he wants. And so we get a sense of what's truly important to Paul by how he prays in Ephesians. How he prays for these believers and for us. See, not just that there'll be good little wives and husbands and fathers and mothers and children and, and church members. That's not it. He, that's important, but that's not foundational. What he prays for is what's most critical. And you see how he prays. Verse 15 to 23 of chapter 1. Turn there with me. We're going to cover a lot of ground in Ephesians this morning. So just be ready to flip. If you're not in Ephesians, it's New Testament. About three-fourths of the way back in your Bible. Maybe a little more. You'll get into these letters. and Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. I'm not going to read the whole prayer. But verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. In verse 17, he prays... Um, He prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him, that they'll know God. In verse 18, that they'll know the hope to which He has called you, that they'll know the riches of His glorious inheritance in in the saints. Verse 19, that they'll know the immeasurable greatness of His power towards those who believe. He wants them to know God. The fullness of Him. And then down, look over to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Ephesians 3, 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory. You know what that means? It's to mean to the, to the extent that God is rich in glory. And that is, an, that is a measure that you can't even conceive of. God is all glorious according to His riches and glory that you, that He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. He's not interested in giving you a little, little dose of the Spirit to kind of get you through the day, but to the, to the extent that God is glorious, He wants you to be strengthened 
the power of His Spirit at work in your inner man. Why? So that Christ may dwell, make Himself at home in your hearts through faith. And that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend. To know, to comprehend, to get your mind around with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is how Paul's praying for the Ephesians. This is what's important to him. What's most important to him. That's what he's praying. And so he prays that they'll know God. They'll comprehend the love of God in Christ. That they'll be strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit. That they'll, they'll be filled with the fullness of God. And so I just say as we, as we get to these commands of fathers in Ephesians 6.4, it's all got to be connected to that. That it's not, parenting isn't just about methods and hard work and it, it begins with knowing God and comprehending His love and, and, and knowing the, the power of the Holy Spirit and, the, and, and, and having His fullness. And so we, we, we need to know and to treasure and delight in God and, and what God has done for us. Not just not, not what we do for God. And that's what, that's what we'll see. So we, we can't take those commands of Ephesians 6, 4, and just rob them of the gospel guts of Ephesians 1 to 3. They have to stay connected. And so, so the first thing we're going to see are these declarations of the gospel in Ephesians 1 to 3, and that will set us up for, to be able to get to Ephesians 6, 4, and these exhortations to dads. So the declarations of the gospel. These are, this is not all that could be said from Scripture or even from Ephesians about what is true. This is not all that God has done for us in Christ. But these are just a few things that stand prominent in Ephesians 1-3. to The first thing that I would say is you are a recipient of sovereign grace. You are a recipient of sovereign grace. Back to Ephesians chapter 1. This is how the letter begins really. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as He chose us. Listen to these words that describe what God has done for us. He chose us in Him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace which, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Verse 11, In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance 
until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. That's a, that's a lot. It's one sentence in the Greek. That is, a, that is a mouthful. What is he saying? In the essence, he's saying our salvation is from God, through God, to God. From beginning to end, it's God. It's His, it's His doing. Things that happen, happen by His will. He chose us. He predestined us. And everything that happens, even our salvation, is according to His purpose. It's by His plan. It's according to the counsel of His will. So the, so the God who made everything, the God who holds all the planets and the stars and the galaxies in place, the God who holds every molecule and every atom together, that God, that same God, had you in His mind when He both planned and accomplished your salvation. That's incredible. And I don't say this to stir up some kind of debate. Let's talk about Calvinism and Arminianism. If you don't know what those are, that's fine. Um, that's not the point. That shouldn't cause us to argue with one another. That should cause us to worship, to give thanks, and to trust Him, and to obey Him. This is why Paul begins this letter this way. And everything he's going to say to fathers, and to children, and to husbands, and wives in Ephesians 6, it's rooted right here. And what God has done for us from eternity past, He's moved toward us in sovereign grace. And so this means... This means that we don't, we didn't meet God halfway in salvation. It's not that He kind of got the wheels turning of, of this salvation thing and, and, and He's hoping that at some point we just kind of catch up and hop on and join Him. And that's how we're saved. That's not it at all. And, it, and it's not that, that salvation is some joint venture. We do our part and then God kind of tops off the rest. It doesn't work either way like that. 1 Corinthians 1.30, it's by His doing that you are in Christ Jesus. And why? Verse 31, so that let, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. It's him. And so, this truth that we are recipients of sovereign grace, it ought to, it ought to devastate our pride and, and our self-sufficiency, but it ought to inflame our joy in the Lord, confidence in Him. And I would just say, for dads, this is what this, I think one of the things this means to you is that God must be the blazing center of your life. That's what your kids need. That's what they need most. They don't need a dad who can teach them how to throw a curveball. I mean, that's cool if you can do that. Or a dad who makes a gazillion bucks. They need a dad who loves God, who, who is just in awe of this God, who is from before the foundation of the world, is in His grace save, set out to save His people. This is, this is what... This is is where it begins. And this is why Paul, this very next thing he does, and again, if you remember we read this earlier, this prayer in Ephesians 1, 15 and following, the very next verse he starts praying that these Ephesian believers will know this God. And they'll, they'll, they'll know Him, they'll comprehend this glorious God who moved towards His people in sovereign grace. And so, God doesn't just want you dads and everybody else, He doesn't want to have kind of the biggest piece of the puzzle that is your life. He, he is the puzzle. He is it. He's not just one, one planet or one star in, in, in your galaxy. He's the sun. He's the, he's the center of the solar system. And everything, 
Everything in your life is going to orbit around Him and, and be connected to Him and, and, and so fixed to Him. And so this is the first declaration. Second declaration is that you, you and I have been shown extravagant mercy. Extravagant mercy. This is in Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, I, I heard this many years ago, but uh, somebody called this God's... This is, Ephesians 2 is showing God's thermonuclear goodness. Or nuclear, if you're from Texas or something. Which, but anyway. Um, but this is grace and mercy at its highest intensity. Verse 1 of Ephesians 2, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is, this is who you were. Do you remember how lost you were? If you're in Christ, do you remember how lost you were? This is, this is your... This is your childhood picture. You were, you were dead. You were without hope. You were living for the passions of the flesh. Under God's wrath. Whether you were born again at 6 years old or 60 years old, this, this is your story. And if you've not yet put your trust in Jesus, this is your story now. It may not feel like that. It may feel like everything's kind of going okay. But this is the reality of, of your life. And let's say more about this. But then you get to verse 4. So this is how this is who we were, but but God, being rich in mercy, not God deciding to show a little trickle of mercy to us, but rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses against God, He made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved, and He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And we're talking about being recipients of sovereign grace in that first declaration. You may balk at that a little bit. And that may make you uncomfortable. And that God would choose some and not others. And sounds like determinism. But, so you think maybe God's not fair. Well, I just say, you're, you're right that He's not fair. Thank God that He's not fair. This is what Ephesians 2 is saying. And, and, and that truth that God is not fair should not lead us to be accusatory against God or against other people. It should lead us to adoration of God. He is spectacularly unfair in how He treats us. He doesn't treat us as we deserve. He's so unfair that according to Psalm 103 verse 10, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. There's grace. That's how He... That's how this is extravagant mercy, and, and so God, in this extravagant, excessive mercy, almost wasteful mercy, He He works for our well-being in complete contradiction to what we deserve. This is how God is towards us. I just dads, listen, and everybody else, you can listen in on this conversation. You you 
You cannot be the kind of father God intends for you to be unless you know and enjoy and stand in awe of and trust in the grace and mercy of God that we're just talking about here. Is your, are you moved by the mercy of God? Or is it, have the ember, those hot embers that once burned and just gratitude for God's grace and mercy and delight in Him, they've grown cold and there's this ash layer that's covered them. Pray for God's reviving work to just blow those hot again. Third declaration of gospel is that you have been brought near at great cost. You have been brought near at great cost. This continues in verse in chapter two. Look down at verse twelve. Verse twelve. Remember that you, you Gentiles, in context here, you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. So this is who you were. You were, you were separate. That's the key word. Far. But, now, verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Look down verse 18. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So, you've been brought near at great cost. God's purpose includes us Gentiles. And this is what I would say probably most of us are. Here, we we are part of this mystery, the church, Jew and Gentile together. This is what he's laboring to point out here. But we who were formerly separate from God, cut off from Him, hostile to God, without hope, without God, we have been brought near to God. And we have been brought near through the work that Christ has done at great cost to God. Sown son's life. And so, again, dads, are you basking, basking in the warmth and the nearness and the favor of God, that closeness with Him? Are you treasuring the thought that you are no longer a stranger? But you're no longer an alien. You're an adopted son of God. You're part of his household. And, and, and as a son of God, that, that relationship can never be cut off. That's a great, that's a great truth. And we need, to, we need to cling to that. Fourth declaration is that you are filled with immeasurable power. Immeasurable power. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 to 21. We read this prayer earlier. But, but you are in Christ, and Christ is in you through the Holy Spirit. That's what we're saying. That You get into the Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, and that, that long sentence, that ten times that, that phrase, in Him or in Christ, appears. And so, so that dominates. And then you get into this prayer in Ephesians 3, 16-21, and, and that Christ is in us. It dominates Paul's praying. So we're in Christ. Christ is in us. And so the prayer ends in, or in verse 16. We are strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. And so, so we have this immeasurable power that God gives to us. Through the Holy Spirit. Christ in us. So maybe you read those, maybe you're reading these gospel declarations and, and that sounds, sounds great, but you see this massive gap between those declarations and your life. You see this glorious reality of who we are in Jesus Christ and then there's you. 
<laughs> and you get home and you kick the dog and you yell at the kids and you're just struggling just to try to get some traction in your life and, and, and there's this huge gap, huge disconnect. And so from Paul's prayer in verse 14 of chapter 3 onward, he, he's, he's showing us how to close that gap. And it begins with this, again, this realization, this comprehension that Christ lives in me. My life is in Him. And He's not going to fail. God, 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 Christ, so we've so we got to drink into that and, and get hold of that. Then, 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 by God's grace, then we can strive with every scrap of energy we have in our bodies to, to, to live in light of that. To, 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 to do that. To live as God intends for us to live. And so dads, you, do you feel hopeless? You're overwhelmed? Is there some sin in your life that you just can't seem to, to defeat? Some anger or lust or fear? And you just, it just seems hopeless. And I just say, drink in this reality. Christ is in you. And, and, and as you rely upon Him and Call out to Him for help. He will help you. You have immeasurable power through the Spirit. So these are, these are just some of the, the gospel declarations in Ephesians 1-3 to then that, 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 that this is what our obligations as dads must be rooted in. And so we've looked at our calling. That's the calling that Paul talks about in Ephesians 4-1. Therefore, in view of your calling, well, Ephesians 1-3 to is that calling. What God has done for us in Christ. And he says then, therefore I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So if your calling, if your salvation was by the free and sovereign grace of God, if you've received this extravagant mercy, if you've been brought near to God at, at, at the cost of His own Son's life, if, you've, if, you've been, if you are now in Christ and Christ is in you by the Holy Spirit so that you have this immeasurable power then, he says, then, therefore, walk in all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another. And he's going to go on to the rest of the Ephesians, showing what that, what that should look like in real life then, how, how this should show up. And one of the ways is in how we relate to one another. This is one of the main applications of, of those gospel declarations is how we relate to one another. So he shows it in the context of all these different relationships. And foundational to that, he says things like in verse 31 and 32 of chapter 4, if the Lord forgave you such a great debt of sin, then let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So you see, it's again those obligations rooted in these declarations. Verse 1 of chapter 5, As God's beloved children, imitate Him. Verse 2, The Lord loved us and gave Himself for us, so we are to walk in love. And on and on and on. And so that's, that's where we're getting. And now let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. And so, what, what obligations for fathers grow out of the soil of those gospel declarations? And that's we'll spend the next few minutes looking at. The obligations of dads, secondly. Obligations of dads. The first thing is this, in verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. That's the first command. Fathers are given here. Say this, don't bait the anger trap for your children. 
Don't bait the anger trap. Now listen. Children, you listen to me real quick. (laughs) Children, your anger is your sin. And, and, and so if you're an angry child and, and this is the inclination and if you, if you lash out in anger or if you hold that anger in your heart, that, that's sin against God and you confess that to God and He will forgive you. We get angry, we all do, but I'm just saying, so this is not to excuse the anger of children. Dads and moms don't make their children angry. They're, they're of their own volition, of their own will, children get angry. And angry children need to confess that. Turn from it. But, listen. What is Paul saying then? Don't provoke your children to anger. Don't make it easy for them. Don't set the trap for them. Fathers have a special obligation in view, again, in view of all that God has done for us in Christ. Don't, to not necessarily provoke them to anger. Don't be a source of stumbling for your children by enticing them to anger. Why does he pick this of all of the things that we can entice our kids to? Why anger? Because it's so common and so easy for us. I think some of it is by the, by the fact that we have we have a, a place of authority in the home, and so one of the ways that men and dads can be that the enemy is going to attack us is to exploit that and to and to to distort that, and so we have this wrong sense of authority, and and so we we can we can have this position to provoke our children to anger. There's a parallel passage, Colossians chapter three, verse twenty-one. You know, I turn there, just listen. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So he adds that, lest they become discouraged, disheartened. They lose heart to become listless, spiritless, disinterested, sullen. It's kind of a blank resignation toward life. That's what that idea of that discouraged is. Don't be the kind of dad who raises that kind of son or daughter. And we do that when we provoke them to anger. Or positively, we could say, be a dad who raises hope-filled, happy, courageous kids who are full of life. This is what this is. This is the the, the objective. But don't provoke children to anger. Anger, anger is is deadly for souls, and particularly for kids' souls. It has this deadening effect on heart. Deadening effect on other affections and emotions that kids should have and be developing in a Christ-honoring way. John Piper says about this, anger is a cannibal emotion. It eats all the others till none is left. I think we probably could think of people in situations in our, maybe our own lives where we see this as true. So how do we bait the anger trap for our children? There's any number of ways. Let me just list off several possibilities. Unpredictability. You just, they don't know which dad they're getting when you walk in the door. Inconsistency, same idea. Unreasonableness, unreasonable expectations of your kids. Favoritism. Selfishness. Laziness. Criticism of your kids without ever offering praise and gratitude for them. Perfectionism. Embarrassment. Insensitivity. Unrealistic standards. 
unfulfilled promises, not admitting mistakes, never seeking forgiveness, ridiculing your kids, neglecting them, abusing them with words, abusing them with actions, severity, just kind of harshness, selfish insistence on your authority, hypocrisy, and we could go on in other ways. But I, I generally think that one of the greatest ways we provoke kids to anger, our children to anger, is by our own anger. I think that's probably the most common. Anger begets anger. And we see this. You, you see, if you ever watched a, an argument or a fight or, or a road rage kind of incident, you know, somebody cuts somebody off. If the person that gets cut off just says, it's okay, smiles, and the other person says, thank you, and they go on. But if the person that gets cut off you know, does something and uh, says something and, and is clearly angry, well, then that person, they may not intend it, but now they're angry because they got angry. And just anger fuels anger. And so dads, I mean, this dad, I'm talking to myself here, when that anger gets a hold of my life, bitterness and, and impatience and anger in it, and I, and I become angry toward my kids, what does it do? It makes it easy for them to respond in anger. I'm provoking them. I'm, I'm setting the trap. And this is, this is one of the greatest ways we can do this. The, a harsh word, Proverbs says, stirs up anger. Are you stirring up anger, dads, by your words, by your harshness in the home? Oh, but the wise dad diffuses anger by that gentle answer, that soft word. Which, which do we do? Dads, are you provoking your children to sinful anger? Are you baiting the trap for them? Are you luring them to anger? Are you making it easy for them to become discouraged and bitter and sullen? Do you need to ask forgiveness from God, from your kids? Um, second, second aspect of this is to feed and clothe your children in the Lord. Uh, feed and clothe your children in the Lord. This is the second obligation. Into verse six or into verse four, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up, or to nurture them is the idea. To nourish, feed not just their physical bodies, but their souls. Are you nourishing, nurturing their souls of your kids? That that's a that's a lofty standard. That's more than just bringing home the bacon and. And that's your job as a dad. I mean, that is one of the real responsibilities. Fathers provide for the needs of your house. But that's not where it stops. That falls short of nurturing them. Bringing them up. This takes time. It takes work, effort, energy, sacrifice. I mean, and it looks different for different ages of kids. I'm starting to learn this. We're just entering into the teenage years. So please don't take this as, man, Justin's got parenting figured out. And he's, you know, lecturing on how to be a good dad. No. Uh, uh, and so, but but I'm already seeing like with little kids. I mean, it involves just spending time with them and playing with them and reading stories to them and talking with them, listening to them, and, and just just being with them. I mean, that's part of that nurturing work, bringing them along and bringing them up, letting them watch you and you watch them and and, and learn them. But then as they get older, and we're seeing this as we got teenagers, it, nourishing takes different form. It's being available to in those moments when your kids are open to talk and you're you're ready and you're you're willing and able. I mean, this is a challenge for this dad who likes to go to bed early. Now they're staying up later and want to talk at night. 
and uh, let's talk at six in the morning. I'll be in, but that doesn't work. That doesn't fit. And so, so <laughs> this dad is trying to stay up later, and 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 just because there's that's the opportunities, and so it's part of nurturing, nourishing them. So we so we bring kids up, we nurture them, we nur- we they're nourished with discipline, and they're nourished with instruction. Paul says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That discipline is training. That's kind of a positive and negative idea. Positively, it's, it's training them how to deal with life before the Lord. Training them how to relate to people in a loving way. Training them how to handle emotions. Training them how to deal with disagreements and work through those. Training them how to use their time. How to work hard. How to think about it and be a good steward of money and possessions. And on and on and on. It's part of that training, that discipline positive. Negatively, it's correction for wrongdoing. The Bible's clear that that is part of parenting. I know it's kind of out of, out of style now to discipline your children and we want to, it's very common today in, in our culture to just kind of try to relate to our kids as friends, as equals, instead of seeing them as, as and, and being okay with that and, and, and owning that sense of authority that we have as parents in the home. Um, but the Bible is clear on this. If we don't discipline our kids, we don't love them, Proverbs says. Proverbs 13, 24. Now, some struggle, again, with... Some struggle on the other end. They struggle with being harsh and, and, and abusive in their parental authority and abusing that parental authority. And others just kind of shirk that parental authority. Both are wrong. I, I'm not, we don't have a long time to elaborate on this. I would just say, if you're struggling with this aspect of correction and discipline, get help. Don't... Don't feel like there's no resources, no people that can help you. Just, just ask for help. Ask some of these veteran parents around here and say, what did you do in this situation? How, what, you, what kind of advice would you give? How would you help me? What do the scriptures have to say about this? You know, ask for help. This is good. There are books, Shepherding a Child's Heart, Age of Opportunity for Teenagers. and So, again, ask for help. So, nourished with discipline. Second, nourished with instruction or admonition. That's the word here. It's that nutheteo. You know, newthetic counseling, a bit coming alongside, admonishing one another, encouraging one another. And so here, we're, we're to do this with admonition, instruction. And we do this with the attitude Paul had toward the church at Corinth. He, he says, I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. 1 Corinthians 4.14. I say, dads, part of your role is to admonish your children, but to do so with large doses of humility. Your, your, your children need to know that there's, there's love for them, that, they, that, that they're not the worst sinners that you know, but you're the worst sinner you know. You know more about your own heart and the sin in your own life, and there's humility as you, as you correct them and as you admonish them and as you encourage them. They need to know and feel your deep concern for their growth in the Lord. And, so, and you notice the little prepositional phrase that modifies that discipline and instructions. It's of the Lord. Everything is in that context. Everything's to be God-centered. God, again, has got to be the blazing center of your home. It's not what 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 I my identity is, is and our family identity is not tied to any our little house rules, little man-made rules. It's not our dress code. It's not our dietary habits. It's not our schooling choice. Our identity is in God and His gospel. Everything's of the Lord. That's that's He's supreme in our home. Not me as the dad. Do what I say. So, the question that we're going to conclude with, and then we'll sing, 
is, is what does this look like in the messiness of real life? How do we put this together? We're saying the obligations of fathers must be rooted in the declarations of the gospel. Do must come from, from done. Okay, that's cute. Uh, but what does this look like? How does this actually show up? And so I've given you these long, wordy statements. I'm sorry. I tried to like pare these down, but I gave up. So this is, they're good. They're written for you at least, so you can think about them some more. But taking those declarations of the gospel, just kind of how this shows up in life. First thing, saturating your mind with God's free and sovereign grace towards you in Christ helps you climb down from the throne and let go of your need to be the center of your life and your home. Thinking of God's grace and the sovereign God and His movement toward me, choosing me, predestining me, and His, His purpose, His will... It tells me that life doesn't exist for me or by me or for me or through me. If it's for God, it's for, from God, through God, to God, for God. And, and it helps me. And so I've got to remember this even today. Father's Day, day about me. <laughs> I want to take a nap. I want to watch the U.S. Open and peace, you know, and, and eat what I want to eat and do what I want to do. And, 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 uh, but this, is, this helps me. I say, it's not about me. You know, this day, I, I mean, I, I hope I get a nap and hope I can watch a little golf. That's fine, but I'm not opposed to those things. But it's okay if it doesn't work out like I planned because, because I know who God is and I know what He's done, how the sovereign God has purposed all things according to His will and even my salvation. It also helps me to say this. I, I can happily trust in God's ability to work in the hearts of my children. And so I, I don't have to, I can stop trying to just modify their behavior and make them look good to all of you and, and, and aim for the kind of heart change that only God can do. I, I can't make them good little Christian boys and girls. It's by His doing that they're in Christ Jesus. So I spend less time worrying about them and controlling them and more time praying for them and pleading with them. That's different. That's some, so you see the implications of the theology of Ephesians 1-3, to those gospel declarations and how they show up in life. Second, tasting and seeing God's lavish mercy for you in spite of your many failures and shortcomings. And we have many, don't we, parents? It enables you to then love your children and move toward them with mercy, patience, kindness, and forgiveness in spite of their failures and shortcomings. So it tells me, I refuse to... To withdraw my affection from my kids as a means of, of punishing them for their mistakes. That is not how God works towards us. And we're to, to be like Him. Like our Father. My anger at their offenses and their disobedience will begin to melt away as I think more upon, upon the offense, my offense to God and the mercy that I receive from Him. I'll still deal with their sin. So don't, you don't get a free pass, kids. On every, you know, you're still, there's still discipline. There's still punishment. But there's no mix. There shouldn't be a mixture of sinful anger. I'm only disciplining out of love. I'm not saying that's all I always do, but this is, this is what helps me to do this. Refuse to pay back evil for evil for my children or for anyone. Because I just overcome with gratitude for the forgiveness that I have from God. Even though I was hostile and ungrateful and unbelieving and proud and violent toward Him. And so, when one of my kids acts out in rebellion, not that they ever do, but if they did, 
I can say, I will let no corrupting talk come from my mouth, but only what is good for building them up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to them. That should be the goal. Third, remembering the barrier of hostility that God broke down and the distance He crossed to bring you near by His blood that compels you to move close to your children and do all you can to be near them and delight in them. It changes how I see my kids. I'll see them as blessings from God. And genuinely take interest in them. Showing, showing my delight in them with, with my eyes and my focus and my attention to them instead of my phone. That's part of it. And, and, and my kind and loving words. And I'm not annoyed by them. By listening to them with my ears and giving them my attention. By spending lots of time with them. By, by, by proper physical affection for them. So they, they won't be a bother to me. They won't be an interruption to my schedule because I realize what God did and the, the gap that He crossed and He bridged to, make, to bring me near to Himself. He wants me close to Him. Even as the rebel that I am and the, how sinful I remain, even, even in, 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 in clothed in the righteousness of Christ, I still am a sinner. And so, But yet He wants me close. Last, considering the enormous power given to you in Christ through the indwelling Holy Spirit, it allows you to remember parenting is not only difficult, it's impossible on your own. Christ is in me though. I am in Christ and He will help me. We were reminded of this. So if my aim is nurturing my children to love Christ, and Christ's aim is for me to nurture my children to love Christ, you think He's going to help me? He's given me all the all resources I need. I've shared this illustration before, but I will end with this. Dan Allender, he's an author, he's a counselor, a biblical counselor, and he tells about as a young pastor, and as he was a young parent, and he had an opportunity to sit down and have a meal with, with some other students. And this is a great theologian, theologian, William Hendrickson. I've used his commentary in the Gospel of John, quoted him here. But Dr. Hendrickson was in his 80s at the time, and again, this group of pastors met with him over lunch. And he recounts to this, At one point, all the young pastors around the table started talking about the demands they felt as fathers. And when they did, Dr. Hendrickson smiled and said, Remember, parenting is not difficult, it's impossible. His laugh conveyed both agony and hope. He answered a few more theological questions for us, but then before our time with him ended, he turned back to the subject of parenting. And he looked at us and said, Nothing you do will be more important than being fathers. And in nothing will you fail more miserably. Parenting is impossible. So you will need God more than you will need to be a good father. That's... That's good for us to remember. We need that sense of desperation for God as fathers. I cannot do this on my own. I can't control my anger like I should. I can't be patient with my children like God is patient with me. I can't make Christians out of these little bundles of joy who who are dead in their sins. I need help. And this is right where God wants us to be. He wants us to be desperate for Him. Clinging to Him, dependent upon Him, trusting in Him, obeying Him, drinking in those gospel declarations to give us help and footing to obey the obligations that we have as fathers.
So the message this morning isn't love your children like this, dads, because God will be happy with you. No, it's God has already forgiven you for all your failures as a father if you're in Christ. And that frees us then to, to, to obey Him and to love Him and to trust Him. And, and so in view of God's love for you, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. May the Lord help us. Let's pray. Father, would you indeed help us to let those words sober us and sit on us, but not, not make us despair. Not take them out of context of Ephesians 1-3. to But may the, that place of comfort and security we have as adopted sons of God free us, Lord, to just to change and to grow as fathers who just give ourselves to helping our, to bringing up our sons and daughters in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, not provoking them to anger. Help the dads here to that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.